see you all. And please do come along and support our youth for the youth service tonight. It's always really worthwhile and they are our future, so really worthwhile to support them. And give a donation for the youth camp because it's really good for them to go to that. They come back with changed lives. Usually at youth camp, people have encounters with God. Okay, I'm just going to talk this morning about trust, trusting God. Well, as all you fellow batteries out there know, AA, otherwise known as Alcoholics Anonymous, is the original 12 Steps program. Now, I've never done alcohol, but I had the alcoholic parent, and so I've been to some AA meetings and also um, been through a codependency group, which is like the non-drinkers version of Alcoholics Anonymous or of the 12-step program. Step three of the 12 steps says we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Well, at Church Unlimited, when we talk about God, we don't say as we understood him because we know who we're talking about. And this is the key. We're talking about the God of the Bible, and the Bible tells us who God is. That's how we understand him. Most of us here have made that decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God, and it's a good decision. Long-term AA members will always tell you these interesting stories about some people's ideas of God as they understood him. And the one that sticks out to me is the man, the one about the man who didn't believe in God, and so he looked along the road and he saw this red bus coming, and he decided that the red bus was going to be his God. How on earth is a red bus going to help you when you don't have enough money to pay the bills, or when the doctor tells you that your loved one has a terminal disease, or you lose your job? or untold other things that happen that leave us feeling helpless and hopeless. You see, trust is not about trust, as in trust me. Trust me, that's the thing that sort of sparked about a million jokes, isn't it? Trust me. Trust the process. Trust the government. Trust the weatherman. You know, apparently, statistically, they get it wrong not right, wrong, 80% of the time. Why do we even watch it? <laughs> no, trust in itself is nothing. The key issue is the object of our trust. What do we trust in? And we need to trust in someone who is totally faithful and trustworthy, someone who will never let us down, and someone who can actually do something to help us. Well, I think the only person who fits that decision is God, the God of the Bible. Our all-powerful, loving, and wise God, our healer, our provider, who is always willing and able to help us. And I'll tell you what, that red bus is going to be worse than useless when we're really in trouble. Surrendering our lives to God is the best decision that we will ever make. But that doesn't mean that our life is going to be plain sailing because, as we know, life on this sin-sick and fallen planet is just plain hard. And we need God. We really do. 
But of course, trust isn't trust without the potential for things to go wrong. We all face those unexpected twists and turns and hardships in life. A few weeks ago or a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with a woman, not someone here, but someone who loved and served God. And the more she talked, the more shocked I was at how hard her life was, past, present, and even the future wasn't looking too great. And yet this woman was trusting God to work things out for her. And to do as we read in Romans 8 and verse 28, to work all things together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And so what does it mean to trust God? Well, we'll look at this a bit as we go on, but one of our things that I've got up there now, to trust God means to follow God's lead without knowing where he's sending us. To wait for God's timing without knowing how long it's going to be, and boy, is that a hard one. To expect a miracle without knowing how on earth it's going to happen. And to trust in God's goodness and his perfect purpose, even though nothing right now makes any sense at all. In other words, we trust God when we're in the spin cycle. Or to put it in more poetic terms, as Isaiah says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Now one thing that this verse tells us is that being in the spin cycle or walking in darkness doesn't necessarily mean that we've done something wrong. Isaiah tells us that we can fear God and obey his word and still walk in darkness. And Joyce Meyer, who's a very well-known Christian ministry and leader, and many of you will have heard her or seen her, says that trusting God is to believe that he loves you, to believe that he's good, that he has the power to help you, that he wants to help you, and that he will help you. Isn't that the truth? And we read that in the Bible, we see it in the testimonies of other people and Bible characters, and we experience it ourselves as we go through things and we learn and we grow. You know, Joseph is one of my favorite Bible characters, and boy, did he go through some dark trials. When he was 17, his brothers planned to kill him, but then they changed his mind and they sold him instead to some slave traders. So he spent many years as a slave, and then he was falsely accused of a crime. He was thrown into a dungeon for however many more years, altogether 13 long years in slavery and in prison. And then he was suddenly, in a day, elevated to the powerful position of being second in command next to Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt. So God had Joseph in the right place at the right time to save his people and indeed to save the whole world from starvation through seven years of severe famine, this terrible disaster that hit the world. Now that was his destiny. And that was how God got him in that place and how God got him ready to handle the power, to handle himself, to handle other people. He knew how to do that. He was God's man 
for this crucial time. Now, what does the Bible say about him being sold into slavery and about that dungeon experience? Well, first of all, God meant it for good. And then Psalm 105 and verse 17, God sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons, irons, that's about the dungeon, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. God sent Joseph to Egypt. Didn't send him first class, but Joseph's trust in God was first class. He was severely tested and he passed all the tests because despite 13 years when things were just going from bad to worse, Joseph still believed that God would fulfill the plan and the destiny that he had for his life. I think that Joseph would like Warren Wearsby's thoughts on trust. Now, this great commentator asked the question, what do we mean when we say, I'm trusting in the Lord? And I've taken about a whole page and shortened it down to a few words. My very shortened version of his answer, I'm trusting in the Lord, what it means is I belong to God. He's got a plan for my life. His plan is the best thing for me, and he's going to work it out in his perfect time. We've just got to believe that God is good and have that radical faith, firstly, that God's going to work his plan out, and secondly, he's going to work everything out for our eternal good. So there's this life and there's eternity to consider here. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Trusting God means that we don't lean on our own understanding. And that can be quite hard for us because as human beings, obviously, we want to follow our own thoughts and our own desires. And trusting God and following his plans means that we've got to be committed to obeying his word, his guidance. And sometimes that's going to mean going against human logic or human understanding. Jeremiah 10, verse 23. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Now, trust is especially hard, firstly, when bad things are happening. You know, life is throwing us a curveball of some sort. Our family's in turmoil. The kids are going off the rails. Marriage issues, health issues, money issues, loss of a job even loss of a loved one, we're back in the spin cycle. Or secondly, when good things or normal things are not happening. You know, we never got that job that we set our heart on. We haven't got any sort of a job. We've been married for ages and we're still not pregnant. And that's after three horrible cycles of IVF. There's no way that we're ever going to get a deposit for a house we haven't been healed. We've never found that husband or wife. We had that prophetic word 25 years ago and it hasn't, help, hasn't happened. Like, God, where are you in all of this? And we've got to trust God when things are really hard. And 
I think I say it with every sermon, but it comes down to the same old story. When there are no easy answers, the only thing that's left are the hard choices. And the hard choice here is taking our hands off. Let go and let God when we're itching to manipulate some, somebody or something to make things happen. Or the hard choice is being obedient to God when obedience is going to cost us. A woman testified, when we first became Christians, my husband and I kept hearing about tithing. At that time, we were living payday to payday, just barely making it. Then we were donating about $20 a week, and that felt like a huge sacrifice. But we kept reading the message in the Bible. Malachi 3 and verse 10, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. She goes on, we decided to just trust God and that if we were obedient, he would take care of us. It was a huge leap of faith, but we started giving at least 10% of our income and tithes. Sure enough, not only could we get by, but our financial circumstances kept getting better and better. We've been tithing ever since, and we've never looked back. Trust. It grows as we do it, and it grows as a fruit of the Holy Spirit as we go through things. When we were missionaries in the Philippines, um, we often traveled on these overnight ferries because it's a nation of about 7,000 islands. Now, one trip I was on my own. I didn't know anybody, but of course there were hundreds of people on the boat. I think the boat was very overcrowded, it, but it started out okay, and then we got into this terrible storm, and the power went, so it was all dark, pitch dark, and with the storm, the boat was just going from side to side, just tossing, and I don't know if it was the doors or the gear or what, but with every toss, it would just crash, bang, crash, bang. It was really scary. You couldn't see what was going on, and all around me, people were screaming and panicking and throwing up. It was just chaos. Now, on these trips, um, we always went third class. And that was up on the deck because that was cheaper. And um, also because it, we always thought it was actually safer. And um, I didn't think of it until the last service, but it's like, um, you know, Philippine Aid Ministries was doing health and safety before anyone even thought of health and safety because this was like 35 years ago. But, you know, up on that deck, it was wall-to-wall -wall stretches. You didn't get a seat. You got a stretcher, little stretches. My feet were over the end. They were just little. And the idea was that you sleep all night, but that was just a joke, right? But anyway, that was the idea. And before we left, God gave me this verse, Proverbs 3 and verse 24. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. And I think when, when God gave me that word, your sleep will be sweet, I think even God was laughing at that point. 
because I didn't get any sleep at all. But I did lie down and I wasn't afraid. And because God gave me that word and I could trust God. So forget about the sleep. But even with that wild storm, the blackness, all this chaos and panic and screaming going on around me, I wasn't afraid. I believed that God would get us safely back to Cebu, and he did. It wasn't fun. It was awful, but we got there. So, okay, like 18 hours of this really nasty storm, and you survive. So what? Yeah, the point is that we learn to trust God. Like, yeah, God said he'd get us through, and he did, and that's cool. But then another storm hits, a different kind of storm. And there's no way that this storm is going to be over in 18 hours. In fact, it feels like it's never going to end. And it's really black and it's really scary. But you see, you have learned something because one thing hasn't changed. God's there and God's still the same. You can't see that it's going to end. But with what we've been through, what we read in the Bible... We know that God knows how to deal with storms, and God knows how to rescue people out of storms. And we know that God can work this out for good. Our eternal good, God can get us through it here and now. And it's like we go through these little things and bigger things, and bit by bit we learn that God is trustworthy in all things. And we can put our, you know, we can't put our trust in our bank balance or in the government, or in our job, or our relationships, because all of those things can fail us. God alone is never going to let us down. Joyce Meyer, who I mentioned, and many of you will know because she talks openly about it, had this dreadful, abusive background. And that made it very hard for her to trust people, and as so many of you here today know, very hard to trust God. Even as a Christian, she went through many years of turmoil. She says, I went to church, but I spent a lot of time being upset about things that I couldn't do anything about. I experienced feelings of guilt and condemnation much of the time. I had no peace and just didn't enjoy life. Then she goes on, thankfully, I had a radical transformation. I developed the habit of trusting God, and now life is really worth living. How did she get to that place? She says, by studying and believing God's word. A huge key in her transformation came as she regularly studied and engaged in God's word. So this is the really important point. Joyce Meyer is saying that regularly engaging with the Bible is a great key to growing in trust and in faith. Romans 10 and verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the cool thing about that is that that faith is also a key to us getting our breakthrough for whatever we're going through. Okay, so let's look at the other side of the coin with another Bible character who found herself in a situation where things were not happening. Rebecca had this prophetic word from God, which she'd no doubt held in her heart for years and years, but suddenly it looked like it wasn't going to work out. Isaac and Rebecca got married, and then she was barren for a long time, 
And then Isaac prayed for her, and she fell pregnant with twins. Genesis 25, 22-23. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And this is God's answer to her. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, this just didn't happen back in those days. The birth order was really, really important. Fast forward to Genesis 27, and we see Isaac, the father, was about 127 years of age. His eyesight was pretty well gone, and he got it into his head that he was about to die, though in fact he lived for about another 50 or so years. So he gave Esau, the older one, certain instructions to carry out before he would pray for him the blessing of the firstborn over him. Uh Uh-oh. So God had told Rebecca the birth order, which was such a huge big big deal back then, would be reversed. The older was going to serve the younger, and now this blessing was going to be prayed over the older one anyway, so it wasn't happening. Didn't God, didn't Isaac know what God had told Rebecca? Had he forgotten? Did he have his own agenda? Was he trying to change God's will? Well, I think Isaac most likely did know that God had chosen Jacob, but his physical appetite and his parental favoritism got in the way. Genesis 25, verse 27 to 28. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Jacob was Rebekah's favorite, and Esau was Isaac's favorite. And so what had started out as a really godly family had become completely dysfunctional, and now we see them about to self-destruct. Now, Sure, it's quite normal for parents to prefer one child, and different personalities will need to be parented in different ways. But it's really important that each child in a family gets the same affection, time, attention, and gifts, and so on, because the consequences of parental favoritism can be really bad. Jacob had already tricked Esau out of his birthright, and that was a big deal too. And now he went along with Rebekah's evil plan to trick an old man into giving him the firstborn blessing that Esau, you know, should have got in the normal scheme of things. And it worked. Well, when Esau realized what had happened, he was so mad he was going to kill his brother. And so then Isaac sent Jacob away to Padam Aram to Rebekah's brother Laban. After that, to cut a long story short, God fulfilled the prophetic word. His plan went on, but as the Bible says, we reap what we sow. In Padam Aram, Jacob spent many years reaping what he'd sown as his uncle Laban cruelly deceived him over and over. And Rebekah... Well, she never saw her favorite son again because she died at some stage within those 20 years that it took Jacob to make it home again. 
Our flesh loves to try and help God out. But what is really going on? Bad stuff. Sin. Impatience. Greed. Lack of trust. Selfishness. True faith is shown as we wait patiently for God without giving up and without losing hope. So what should Rebecca have done? Well, I don't really know for sure. But the way I see it, is this crucial timing issue. And I think Christians face this in so many different ways. Time was running out fast. Isaac was going to give that irrevocable blessing to the wrong son, and God wasn't doing anything like, what do we do? My rent's due. God hasn't come through, and this time I'm definitely going to get kicked out of the house. But hey, wait a minute. I've got my old mother's credit card, and she won't know. She'll never find out. Maybe this is God's provision. (laughs) I'm 43. God's promised me a child, and I'm still single. Or I've got a boyfriend, but he doesn't want to get married. Hmm. What do I do? You know, there are so many running out of time issues that we face, and maybe we've been trusting God for ages, but we feel like he's forgotten us or forgotten his promise or forgotten our needs. So is it okay for us to take matters into our own hands and do something that's not 100% moral or not 100% honest or not 100% right? Even Abraham, the father of our faith, fell into this one. And God had promised him a son, but it was taking forever. So he and Sarah worked things out, and they got Sarah's slave pregnant, and she had a son for them, and they called him Ishmael. But then, of course, God did fulfill his promise, and Abraham and Sarah had a son, and they called him Isaac. And from the time that Isaac was born, there was jealousy and hostility between Ishmael and Isaac. Abraham and Sarah tried to help God out. But, you know, just think about it. Over the centuries, how many wars have been fought and how many countless lives have been lost in the struggle between the Arabs, who are the people of Ishmael, and the Jews, who are the people of Isaac. And to this day... That continues. And you just wonder what the outcome might have been if Rebecca had just been able to let go and let God. Because God can do anything. And we get a little glimpse of this when Jacob himself was old and dying. And his son Joseph brought his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to be blessed by their grandfather. Guess what Jacob did? Instead of putting his right hand on the head of the oldest boy and his left hand on the son of the younger boy, which is what everybody did and what you should do and what was expected to be, do, to be done, he crossed them over and he swapped the blessing over. And Joseph said, no, you, that's not the right way. But Jacob said, no, this is what God wants. And this was prophetic. And that's what he did. And maybe there was a lesson for Jacob in that moment, showing him what could have happened if he'd trusted God instead of going along with Rebecca's ungodly scheme. 
We've got to let go and let God. God is bigger than an old man's love of savory food. God is bigger than parental favoritism. God is bigger than the birth order. God is bigger than all the injustices and obstacles and problems that stand between us and the outworking of his plan for our lives. And we've just got to make that firm decision that whatever happens, we're going to trust God and do what's right because God can sort things out. You know, like Daniel's three, three friends just have that do-or-die attitude that we're going to trust God no matter what, as they did when they were given that ultimatum, bow down and worship the image or be thrown into the fiery furnace. God brought them through, but they had that attitude, whatever. Daniel 3, 17 to 18. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see, radical trust means that we understand that, but if not, factor. There's a risk, but we're going to trust anyway. And that means we're putting our trust in God to rescue us, believing God for a financial breakthrough. We're praying, believing for our need, whatever it is, and expecting God to come through with the answer. But even if he doesn't, our bottom line is that whatever happens, I'm still going to love God. I'm still going to trust him because his plan is the very best for me. Now, where does that come from? Well, I don't think it usually comes on the spur of the moment. I think it comes, you know, in a meeting like today or at some prior time. I think for these three, you know, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, maybe it started well before on that long, arduous trek from Jerusalem to Babylon when they were probably in chains, going as captives and facing that prospect of death or a life of slavery. And maybe at that point, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had whispered conversations, and they came to that decision that whatever happened to them, they were going to be faithful to God, no matter what. A pastor's son committed suicide, and in the terrible dark days and weeks afterwards, he just clung to God's word for hope in that tragic situation, so bleak, so dark. And one of his verses was Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And that pastor so bravely stood up and spoke to his congregation just a few weeks after that. And he said how incredibly hard it was to see how anything good could come out of such a tragedy. But he said, I realize I only see a part of the whole. I only know in part. God knows the whole. And he went on to say that how in a shipyard, just about every part of a huge ship is made out of steel. And if you take one part, like a steel plate, out of the hull or a rudder or something like that, and you throw it into the sea, it's going to sink because steel doesn't float. But when the shipbuilders are finished and the last steel plate is riveted into place, then that massive steel ship will float. Then it's virtually unsinkable. 
And he finished by saying, by itself, my son's suicide doesn't make any sense at all. It's just a part of the whole. Throw it into the sea of Romans 8 verse 28 and it sinks. But I hope and I believe that when the eternal shipbuilder is finished, even this horrible tragedy will somehow work together for our eternal good. Robin Bertram, who's a Christian writer and speaker, said this, If God has called you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, if he has saved you and given you eternal life, if he has breathed his breath into your body and taken up residency in the form of the Holy Spirit, then trust that he has your best interest at heart. And I think that so sums it all up. We can trust God because he has our best interest at heart. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you. And God, sometimes life is so hard. Sometimes just doesn't make any sense at all. And sometimes we can't see the big picture because it finishes in eternity. But God, we thank you that we understand you from your word. And we thank you that you are a God of love and you have our best interest at heart. And God, I just pray that for each one of us, you would just drop that revelation into our hearts this morning, that you have our best interest at heart. God, increase our faith, our trust, our hope in you. Drop that revelation in. Make it real, I pray. Let it become flesh in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.